Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 20 and 21, from The Secret Adversary, by Agatha Christie. And now, chapter 20, Too Late. In the street, they held an informal council of war. Sir James had drawn a watch from his pocket. The boat train to Hollyhead stops at Chester at 12.14. If you start at once, I think you can catch the connection. Tommy looked up, puzzled. "'Is there any need to hurry, sir? "'Today is only the 24th.' "'I guess it's always well to get up early in the morning,' "'said Julius, before the lawyer had time to reply. "'We'll make tracks for the depot right away.' "'A little frown had settled on Sir James's brow. "'I wish I could come with you. "'I am due to speak at a meeting at two o'clock. "'It is unfortunate.' "'The reluctance in his tone was very evident. "'It was clear, on the other hand, "'that Julius was easily disposed "'to put up with the loss of the other's company.' "'I guess there's nothing complicated about this deal,' he remarked. "'Just a game of hide-and-seek. That's all.' "'I hope so,' said Sir James. "'Sure thing. What else could it be?' "'You are still young, Mr. Hirschheimer. "'At my age you will probably have learnt one lesson. "'Never underestimate your adversary.' "'The gravity of his tone impressed Tommy, "'but had little effect upon Julius. "'You think Mr. Brown might come along and take a hand?' "'If he does, I'm ready for him.' "'He slapped his pocket. "'I carry a gun. "'Little Willie here travels round with me everywhere.' "'He produced a murderous-looking automatic "'and tapped it affectionately before returning it to its home. "'But he won't be needed this trip. "'There's nobody to put Mr. Brown wise.' "'The lawyer shrugged his shoulders. "'There was nobody to put Mr. Brown wise "'to the fact that Mrs. Vandermeyer meant to betray him. "'Nevertheless,' "'Mrs. Vandermeyer died without speaking.' "'Julius was silenced for once, "'and Sir James added on a lighter note, "'I only want to put you on your guard. "'Good-bye, and good luck. "'Take no unnecessary risks once the papers are in your hands. "'If there is any reason to believe that you have been shadowed, "'destroy them at once. "'Good luck to you. "'The game is in your hands now.' "'He shook hands with them both.' Ten minutes later, the two young men were seated in a first-class carriage and were out for Chester. For a long time, neither of them spoke. When at length Julius broke the silence, it was with a totally unexpected remark. "'Say,' he observed thoughtfully, "'did you ever make a darn fool of yourself over a girl's face?' Tommy, after a moment's astonishment, searched his mind. "'No, nah, I can't say I have,' he replied at last. "'Not that I can recollect, anyhow.' Why? Because for the last two months I've been making a sentimental idiot of myself over Jane. First moment I clapped eyes on her photograph, my heart did all the usual stunts you read about in the novels. I guess I'm ashamed to admit it. But I came over here determined to find her and fix it all up, and take her back as Mrs. Julius P. Hersheimer. Oh, said Tommy, amazed. Julius uncrossed his legs brusquely and continued. It just shows what an almighty fool a man can make of himself. One look at the girl in the flesh, and I was cured. Feeling more tongue-tied than ever, Tommy ejaculated, Oh, again. No disparagement to Jane, mind you, continued the other. She's a real nice girl, and some fellow will fall in love with her right away. I thought her a very good-looking girl, said Tommy, finding his tongue. Sure she is, but she's not like her photo one bit. At least I suppose she is, in a way. Must be. "'because I recognized her right off. "'If I'd seen her in a crowd, I'd have said, "'Now there's a girl whose face I know, 
right away, without any hesitation. But there was something about that photo. Julia shook his head and heaved a sigh. I guess romance is a mighty queer thing. It must be, said Tommy coldly, if you could come over here and love with one girl and propose to another within a fortnight. Julius had the grace to look discomposed. Well, you see, I've got a sort of tired feeling that I'd never find Jane, and that it was all plum foolishness anyway. And then, oh well, the French, for instance, are much more sensible in the way they look at things. They keep romance and marriage apart. Tommy flushed. Well, I'm damned. If that's... Julius hastened to interrupt. Say now, don't be hasty. I don't mean what you mean. I take it Americans have a higher opinion of morality than you even have. What I meant was that the French set about marriage in a businesslike way, find two people who are suited to one another, look after money affairs, and see the whole thing practically, and in a businesslike spirit. If you ask me, said Tommy, we're all too damned businesslike nowadays. We're always saying, will it pay? The men are bad enough, and the girls are worse. Cool down, son. Don't get so heated. I feel heated, said Tommy. Julius looked at him and judged it wise to say no more. However, Tommy had plenty of time to cool down before they reached Hollyhead, and the cheerful grin had returned to his countenance as they alighted at their destination. After consultation, and with the aid of a road map, they were fairly well agreed as to direction, so were able to hire a taxi without more ado and drive out on the road leading to Treadier Bay. They instructed the man to go slowly, and watched narrowly so as not to miss the path. They came to it not long after leaving the town, and Tommy stopped the car promptly, asked in a casual tone whether the path led down to the sea, and here it did, paid off the man in handsome style. A moment later the taxi was slowly chugging back to Holyhead. Tommy and Julius watched it out of sight, and then turned to the narrow path. "'It's the right one, I suppose?' asked Tommy doubtfully. "'There must be simply heaps along here.' "'Sure it is. Look at the gorse.' "'Remember what Jane said?' "'Tommy looked at the swelling hedges of golden blossom "'which bordered the path on either side, and was convinced. "'They went down in single file, Julius leading. "'Twice Tommy turned his head uneasily. "'Julius looked back. "'What is it?' "'I don't know. I've got the wind up somehow. "'Keep fancying there's someone following us.' "'Can't be,' said Julius, positively. "'We'd see him.' Tommy had to admit that this was true. Nevertheless, his sense of uneasiness deepened. In spite of himself, he believed in the omniscience of the enemy. "'I rather wish that fellow would come along,' said Julius. He patted his pocket. "'Little William here is just aching for exercise.' "'Do you always carry your gun with you?' inquired Tommy, with burning curiosity. "'Most always. I guess you never know what might turn up.' Tommy kept a respectful silence. He was impressed by little William. It seemed to remove the menace of Mr. Brown farther away. The path was now running along the side of the cliff, parallel to the sea. Suddenly Julius came to such an abrupt halt that Tommy cannoned into him. "'What's up?' he inquired. "'Look there. If that doesn't beat the band.' Tommy looked. Standing out half obstructing the path was a huge boulder which certainly bore a fanciful resemblance to a begging terrier. "'Well,' said Tommy, refusing to share Julius's emotion, "'it's what we expected to see, isn't it?' 
Julius looked at him sadly and shook his head. British phlegm! Sure we expected it, but it kind of rattles me all the same, to see it sitting there just where we expected to find it. Tommy, whose calm was, perhaps, more assumed than natural, moved his feet impatiently. Come on, push on. What about the hole? They scanned the cliffside narrowly. Tommy heard himself saying idiotically, The gorse won't be there after all these years. And Julius replied solemnly, I guess you're right. Tommy suddenly pointed with a shaking hand. What about that crevice there? Julius replied in an awe-stricken voice, That's it, for sure. They looked at each other. When I was in France, said Tommy, reminiscently, whenever my Batman failed to call me, he always said that he had come over queer. I never believed it. There is such a sensation. I've got it now. Badly. He looked at the rock with a kind of agonized passion. Damn it, he cried. It's impossible. Five years. Think of it. Birds nesting. Boys. Picnic parties. Thousands of people passing. It can't be there. It's a hundred to one against being there. It's against all reason. Indeed, he felt it to be impossible. More, perhaps, because he could not believe in his own success where so many others had failed. The thing was too easy. Therefore, it could not be. The hole would be empty. Julius looked at him with a widening smile. I guess you're rattled now, all right, he drawled with some enjoyment. Well, here goes. He thrust his hand into the crevice and made a slight grimace. It's a tight fit. Jane's hand must be a few sizes smaller than mine. I don't feel... Wait a minute. What's this? Gee whiz! And with a flourish, he waved aloft a small, discolored packet. It's the goods, all right. Sewn up in oilskin. Hold it while I get my penknife. The unbelievable had happened. Tommy held the precious packet tenderly between his hands. They had succeeded. It's queer, he murmured idly. You'd think the stitches would have rotted. They look just as good as new. They cut them carefully and ripped away the oilskin. Inside was a small, folded sheet of paper. With trembling fingers they unfolded it. The sheet was blank. They stared at each other, puzzled. A dummy? hazarded Julius. Was Danvers just a decoy? Tommy shook his head. That solution did not satisfy him. Suddenly his face cleared. I've got it. Sympathetic ink. You think so? Worth trying, anyhow. Heat usually does the trick. Get some sticks. We'll make a fire. In a few minutes, the little fire of twigs and leaves was blazing merrily. Tommy held the sheet of paper near the glow. The paper curled a little with the heat, but nothing more. Suddenly, Julius grasped his arm and pointed to where characters were appearing in a faint brown color. Yes, you got it. Say, that idea of yours was great. It never occurred to me. Tommy held the paper in position some minutes longer until he judged the heat had done its work. Then he withdrew it. A moment later, he uttered a cry. Across the sheet, in neat brown printing, ran the words, With the compliments of Mr. Brown. We'll return with Chapter 21, right after these sponsor messages. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now, Chapter 21. Tommy Makes a Discovery. For a moment or two, they stood staring at each other stupidly, dazed with the shock. Somehow, inexplicably, Mr. Brown had forestalled them. Tommy accepted defeat quietly, but not so Julius. "'How in tarnation did he get ahead of us? "'That's what beats me,' he ended up. "'Tommy shook his head and said dully, "'It accounts for the stitches being new. "'We might have guessed. "'Never mind the darn stitches. "'How did he get ahead of us? "'We hustled all we knew. "'It's downright impossible for anyone to get here quicker than we did. "'And anyway, how did he know? "'Do you reckon there was a dictaphone in James's room? "'I guess there must have been.' "'but Tommy's common sense pointed out objections. "'No one could have known beforehand "'that she was going to be in that house, "'much less that particular room.' "'That is so,' admitted Julius. "'Then one of the nurses was a crook "'and listened at the door. "'How's that?' "'I don't see that it matters anyway,' "'said Tommy wearily. "'He may have found out some months ago "'and removed the papers then. "'No, by Jove, that won't wash. "'They'd have been published at once.' "'Sure thing they would. "'No, someone's got ahead of us today, by an hour or so. "'But how they did it gets my goat.' "'I wish that chap Peel Edgerton had been with us,' said Tommy thoughtfully. "'Why?' Julius stared. "'The mischief was done when we came.' "'Yes,' Tommy hesitated. "'He could not explain his own feeling. "'The illogical idea that the K.C.'s presence "'would somehow have averted the catastrophe.' "'He reverted to his former point of view. "'It's no good arguing about how it was done. "'The game's up. "'We've failed. "'There's only one thing for me to do. "'What's that?' "'Get back to London as soon as possible. "'Mr. Carter must be warned. "'It's only a matter of hours now before the blow falls. "'But at any rate, he ought to know the worst. "'The duty was an unpleasant one, "'but Tommy had no intention of shirking it. "'He must report his failure to Mr. Carter.' After that, his work was done. He took the midnight mail to London. Julius elected to stay the night at Holyhead. Half an hour after arrival, haggard and pale, Tommy stood before his chief. I've come to report, sir. I've failed. Failed badly. Mr. Carter eyed him sharply. You mean that the treaty... is in the hands of Mr. Brown, sir? Ah, said Mr. Carter quietly. The expression on his face did not change, but Tommy caught the flicker of despair in his eyes. It convinced him, as nothing else had done, that the outlook was hopeless. "'Well,' said Mr. Carter, after a minute or two, "'we mustn't sag at the knees, I suppose. I'm glad to know definitely. We must do what we can.' Through Tommy's mind flashed the assurance, "'It's hopeless, and he knows it's hopeless.' The other looked up at him. "'Don't take it to heart, lad,' he said kindly. "'You did your best. 
"'You were up against one of the biggest brains of the century, "'and you came very near success. "'Remember that. "'Thank you, sir. "'It's awfully decent of you.' "'I blame myself. "'I've been blaming myself ever since I heard this other news.' "'Something in his tone attracted Tommy's attention. "'A new fear gripped at his heart. "'Is there something more, sir?' "'I'm afraid so,' said Mr. Carter gravely. "'He stretched out his hand to a sheet on the table. "'Not tuppence,' faltered Tommy. "'Read for yourself.' "'The typewritten words danced before his eyes. "'The description of a green toque, "'a coat with a handkerchief in the pocket marked PLC. "'He looked an agonized question at Mr. Carter. "'The latter replied to it. "'These washed up on the Yorkshire coast, near Ebury, I'm afraid. "'It looks very much like foul play.' "'My God!' gasped Tommy. Tuppence, "'Those devils! "'I'll never rest till I've got even with them. "'I'll hunt them down. I'll... "'The pity on Mr. Carter's face stopped him. "'I know what you feel like, my poor boy, "'but it's no good. "'You'll waste your strength uselessly. "'It may sound harsh, but my advice to you is, "'cut your losses. "'Time's merciful. "'You'll forget.' "'Forget Tuppence? "'Never.' "'Mr. Carter shook his head. "'So you think now. "'Well, it won't bear thinking of that brave little girl. "'I'm sorry about the whole business. "'Confoundedly sorry.' "'Tommy came to himself with a start. "'I'm taking up your time, sir,' he said with an effort. "'There's no need for you to blame yourself. "'I dare say we were a couple of young fools "'to take on such a job. "'And you did warn us. "'But I wish to God I'd been the one to get it in the neck. "'Not tuppets.' "'Goodbye, sir.' "'Back at the Ritz, "'Tommy packed up his few belongings mechanically, "'his thoughts far away. "'He was still bewildered by the introduction of tragedy "'into his cheerful commonplace existence. "'What fun they had had together, he and Tuppence! "'And now... "'He couldn't believe it. "'It couldn't be true. "'Tuppence! Dead? "'Little Tuppence! Brimming over with life! "'It was a horrible dream. "'Nothing more.' They brought him a note, a few kind words of sympathy from Peel Edgerton, who had read the news in the paper. There had been a large headline, XBAD Feared Drowned. The letter ended with the offer of a post on a ranch in the Argentine where Sir James had considerable interest. Kind old beggar, muttered Tommy, as he flung it aside. The door opened, and Julius burst in with his usual violence. He held an open newspaper in his hand. Say, what's all this? "'They seem to have got some fool idea about Tuppence.' "'It's true,' said Tommy quietly. "'You mean they've done her in?' "'Tommy nodded. "'I suppose when they got the treaty, "'she she wasn't any good to them any longer, "'and they were afraid to let her go.' "'Well, I'm darned,' said Julius. "'Little Tuppence. "'She sure was the pluckiest little girl.' "'But suddenly something seemed to crack in Tommy's brain. "'He rose to his feet.' "'Ah, oh, get out! You don't really care, damn you! "'You asked her to marry you in your rotten, cold-blooded way. "'But I loved her. "'I'd have given the soul out of my body to save her from harm. "'I'd have stood by without a word and let her marry you, "'because you could have given her the sort of time she sought to have had, "'and I was only a poor devil without a penny to bless himself with. "'But it wouldn't have been because I didn't care.' "'See here,' began Julius, temperately. "'Ah, go to hell! "'I can't stand your coming here and talking about little tuppence.' "'Go and look after your cousin. "'Tuppence is my girl. 
I've always loved her, from the time we played together as kids. We grew up, and it was just the same. I shall never forget when I was in hospital, and she came in that ridiculous cap and apron. It was like a miracle to see the girl I loved turn up in a nurse's kit. But Julius interrupted him. A nurse's kit? Gee, whiz! I must be going to Colney Hatch. I could swear I've seen Jane in a nurse's cap, too. And that's plumb impossible. No, by gum. I've got it. It was her I saw talking to Whittington at that nursing home in Bournemouth. She wasn't a patient there. She was a nurse. I dare say, said Tommy angrily. She's probably been in with them from the start. I shouldn't wonder if she stole those papers from Danvers to begin with. I'll be damned if she did, shouted Julius. She's my cousin, and as patriotic a girl as ever stepped. I don't care damn what she is. Just get out of here, retorted Tommy, also at the top of his voice. The young men were on the point of coming to blows, but suddenly, with an almost magical abruptness, Julius's anger abated. All right, son, he said quietly. I'm going. I don't blame you any for what you've been saying. It's mighty lucky you did say it. I've been the most almighty blithering darned idiot that it's possible to imagine. Calm down. Tommy had made an impatient gesture. I'm going, right away. I'm going to the London Northwestern Railway Depot, if you want to know. I don't care a damn where you're going, growled Tommy. As the door closed behind Julius, he returned to his suitcase. That's the lot, he murmured, and rang the bell. Take my luggage down. Yes, sir. Going away, sir. I'm going to the devil, said Tommy, regardless of the menial's feelings. That functionary, however, merely replied respectfully. Yes, sir. Shall I call a taxi? Tommy nodded. Where was he going? He hadn't the faintest idea. Beyond a fixed determination to get even with Mr. Brown, he had no plans. He reread Sir James's letter and shook his head. Tuppence must be avenged. Still, it was kind of the old fellow. Better answer it, I suppose. He went across to the writing table. With the usual perversity of bedroom stationery, there were innumerable envelopes and no paper. He rang. No one came. Tommy fumed at the delay. Then he remembered that there was a good supply in Julius's sitting room. The American had announced his immediate departure. There would be no fear of running up against him. Besides, he wouldn't mind if he did. He was beginning to be rather ashamed of the things he had said. Old Julius had taken them jolly well. He'd apologize if he found Julius there. But the room was deserted. Tommy walked across to the writing table and opened the middle drawer. A photograph, carelessly thrusting face upwards, caught his eye. For a moment he stood rooted to the ground. Then he took it out, shut the drawer, walked slowly over to an armchair, and sat down, still staring at the photograph in his hand. What on earth was the photograph of the French girl Annette doing in Julius Hersheimer's writing table? We'll return next Sunday night with the next two chapters from The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. We appreciate reviews, so if you have a moment and you're enjoying this mystery, please do send us a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, everyone. And we'll be back next Sunday night.